Blog Talk Radio. And I got the age. You might see me moving. Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to Help for HD Live. Help for HD Live is made possible by Help for HD International and is supported by an education grant from Teva Pharmaceuticals and the Griffin Foundation. I'm your host, Katie Jackson, and today our guest is Dr. Amy Rose. Dr. Amy Rose is an assistant professor in the Department of Communication Sciences and Disorders at Western Carolina University. She received her doctorate from the University of North Carolina at Greensboro and has over 25 years of clinical experience serving children and adults with communication disorders. Dr. Rose currently teaches both undergraduates and graduate students with courses of dysphagia, voice disorder, genetics, and adult language disorders. Research projects include the development of friendships and social skills in disability populations and international service learning and collaboration in developing countries. Very cool. She just got back from Botswana, Africa, which I want to hear a little bit about that on the air too because I think that's amazing. Um, So we are so excited. This is a very, very important subject we need to talk about as a community, so we're very excited to have Amy on the show with us. So thank you so much, and welcome to the show, Amy. Thanks, Katie. Thanks for having me. Yeah, let's start out and tell us a little bit about your connection with Huntington's disease. Okay, so um, both my father and my grandmother had Huntington's disease. They have both since passed away. Um, and then probably my closest connection is my brother. Um, he's an older brother, and um, he um, has Huntington's disease uh, currently, um, struggling through. And, um, and then my niece, um, Lauren, has tested positive for the gene but does not currently have symptoms. So lots of family members. Yeah, and Lauren is such an amazing, we're, we're lucky to have her as part of Health for HD, but she's such an amazing advocate. Um, I just, I just think is. she's incredible. Yes. Yeah. So how can speech therapy help a patient with Huntington's disease? Right, so a lot of people don't know um, what speech therapists do, and they, a lot of people think speech therapy just works on speech. Um, so that part where it might be difficult to understand someone. Um, in Huntington's disease, uh, we typically think of that with, um, I'm going to throw out a word here, but hyperkinetic uh, dysarthria. That's a big word for just saying there's some involuntary movement, just like other movements in Huntington's, but you also get that um, with speech or with the jaw or tongue. Um, but we do a lot more in addition to that. So uh, speech therapists or speech language pathologists really have a broad, broad scope of practice. And so we work on anything related to communication. Uh, so that might be 
um, receptive language or understanding what someone says, so helping someone with comprehension. Um, those would be things like if, if your loved one is having difficulty following directions or if you're telling them lots of things at one time and they're only getting us part of that. So we help with that understanding or comprehension. We also help patients with expressive communication. So that's uh, being able to say what you want, right? So um, some of that frustration that we see in patients come out because they can't get out what they want to say, that's that expressive language, communicating, you know, even just basic wants and needs. Um, and we also work, this is a lot, so I'm running through them, but we um, also work on pragmatic language or social language skills, um, you know, when you kind of think of quality of life and how important it is to be able to socialize. And uh, sometimes patients with Huntington's disease get that impulsivity where they can't uh, always control what they're, what they're saying. They might get a thought and then it just comes out or they get frustrated with not being able to communicate. And so those things can, um, can impact the, you know, that ability to socialize um, with others. Let's see, what else do we do? We also, this team is really unrelated, but speech pathologists are responsible in our scope of practice to work on swallowing. Um, so, you know, which we see a lot in uh, patients with Huntington's disease, that difficulty um, with being able to swallow safely. And so we oversee swallow studies and help develop um, programs or therapies to help um, a patient swallow safely. Um, what else do we do? We all, oh, there's even more. We worked on cognitive skills um, so that, um, you know, um, sequencing. So if there are like steps to, um, to a task, uh, the patient may be able to remember one or two but are having difficulty with, you know, with multiple steps. And so um, attention and short-term memory. So actually speech pathologists help with those skills too. Um, if a person starts to lose their ability to communicate um, through voice, we also work on something called augmentative or alternative communications, which is just an alternative way for someone to be able to communicate, maybe through um, a device or picture symbols or things like that. So it's pretty broad. Right. Right. And I think that I think the choking is so important for our, our community because it's so scary for the loved one mm -hmm. and for the, the caregiver for our, the caregiver and our loved ones. And so um, I know that uh, my husband, when he did speech therapy, they really helped with showing me what he could eat. Um, yeah. I didn't realize, you know, that, or, and how to eat as well. That's right. And, and you start to see changes, right. With swallowing um, gradually over time. And so, um, and it is scary that, you know, someone choking on their food, um, and because it start, you start to get a difference in that coordination of uh, breathing and swallowing, those things really work together. And so um, as soon as that starts to get affected, you, you know, you're at risk for pneumonia, right, for food going down the wrong way. And that's really what we're trying to prevent, um, you know, or preventing those pneumonias yeah. for occurring. So, right, we may, we may help with a modified diet, um, softer foods or thicker liquids. Yep. Right. Yeah. So when is the best time to seek out uh, help with, from a speech therapist? Yeah, so really it can be, this is going to, there's not a set time. It's really when you or your loved ones start to notice um, any difficulty with swallowing. So, you know, any difficulty, like if there's an episode of pneumonia, if you notice that your loved one is um, starting to cough a lot during meals, 
you know, that's really a red flag. Difficulty swallowing medication is another red flag where you might want to go ahead and um, ask for a swallow study. And once you have a swallow study, a speech therapist then gets involved with helping with strategies to help with safe swallowing. Um, the other time is um, anytime that you start to notice a significant change in communication or cognitive skills, you can always um, ask for a speech therapist's help. And it may not be that a speech therapist is involved, you know, from day one of a diagnosis um, from when Huntington's symptoms begin, but just at critical moments throughout um, the journey you know, to help at different times to maintain quality of life. Yeah. Did that answer well, your question? What, about, what is a swallow? Yeah, absolutely. What is a swallow study? Okay. Can you go and tell us kind of what that sure. entails? Yeah. So a swallow study is, there are a couple of different ways to do it. Um, so um, sometimes you go into, you know, hospital, it's like a little outpatient um, study through what's called a modified barium swallow study. It's kind of like an x-ray while you're eating. Um, so you're, you have a machine that's, you know, that's watching the swallow, just like an x-ray would look at your bones and muscles and things like that. You can actually see what's happening during the swallow, but they put barium in the food or their liquid so that you can see it going down and you can see what's happening from chewing in the mouth to when the person goes to swallow, how's the timing of that? Does the food go um, where it's supposed to go, right? You don't want it to go into the lungs. That's what you're really trying to prevent. So you can actually see that on the, um, on the swallow study to make sure that it's going the right way and that all of those structures are working just like they're supposed to. So that's called a modified barium swallow study. Another kind is, um, which people may be familiar with, is called um, FEES, which is a fiber optic endoscopic evaluation of swallowing. And with that one, um, you don't have to have an x-ray or anything. They actually put a little um, endoscope through the nose, and then it goes down the back of the throat, and then it looks, um, it's able, it kind of sits above so it can watch what happens with the food when you swallow. And so they put a little bit of dye in the food, and you can try different, you know, different um, thicknesses of liquid, different types of food, and actually see what's happening to make sure that, again, same thing you're looking for is to make sure that all of those muscles and structures are doing what they're supposed to do. So either one of those works well. Yeah. Both of those are considered swallow studies. Okay, and then usually does that report go to like a therapist would go to you and you would evaluate it? Um, yeah, so it's it, and then it's, go it's different in different right. It's different in different places. So um, so a speech therapist who's working like at a at a hospital, um, they would be involved in doing that swallow study along with an ENT. They would do it together typically um, along with an X-ray tech, uh, and so they would actually look at it look at it together. It's the doctor who actually does the medical diagnosis and then the speech therapist um, would come up with um, exactly what, you know, what happened in the swallow itself, like at what, you know, which structures were working great, which ones maybe you need to work on. If you need a modified diet, the speech therapist would actually come up with those strategies. So it might be that that speech therapist is the one that you work with. If it's at a hospital, they may do the study and you may work with them or work with them on an outpatient basis. Um, or if, 
uh, your loved ones like at a rehab facility or skilled nursing facility, it may be that, that um, the patient gets sent for that study and then uh, the speech therapist who does the study sends those goals and objectives or what to work on with the speech therapist at the facility. So it might be different people or it could be the same. Yeah, okay. So if, if someone from um, our community wants to get help and, and you know, mm-hmm. look for a speech therapist, how would they go about doing that? How would they go about getting help? Right, so there's, again, there's lots of different ways this can happen. Uh, typically, the typical route is if um, someone does have a hospital stay because of a pneumonia or some type of precipitating event, you know, an illness of, or something, um, the you know, a speech therapist can be called in at that time just to do a consult and then decide if they need to do a more thorough evaluation. So lots of times this first contact happens during um, like an initial hospital stay. And a a family member can certainly request during a hospital stay if the doctor hasn't uh, thought of it. you can request it. You can say, you know, I'm getting a little, I've noticed, you know, some communication difficulties or some swelling difficulties. Is there any way that I can, you know, have a speech therapist come do a consultation? Um, So that's a nice, you know, there's speech therapists there at the hospital. Um, You know, that's certainly something that you can request. If the doctor doesn't request it, you can kind of ask them, can you make this request for me? Um, Otherwise it can be a referral can be made from your neurologist um, so if you are noticing differences and the, or the neurologist is noting some, ch- noticing some changes, they can make that referral um, in ENT. Um, if, so if that's a physician that the patient's going to because of swallowing difficulty, they can make a referral. So typically a referral is made from a doctor. And it can happen just a lot of different ways. If you're in a skilled nursing facility, it would tip, you can request it right there. Yeah, and then... And- how I know that this, um, the the speech therapist was actually um, coming to my husband's facility, which mm-hmm. was nice because we didn't have to go yep. to a doctor or go to a therapist. They came to they came to us. Yes, yeah. And so in facilities, right? And and I worked in some skilled nursing facilities when I was practicing, and um, it was great because we saw we were right there. We saw our patients, you know, every single day, typically for about an hour every day right alongside the occupational therapist and physical therapist. And sometimes we work together, which was really nice. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it was really great for me because the, the speech therapist went to the facility, the, the director and talked about modifying my husband's diet, mm-hmm. um, which was really That's nice right. for me. And we but worked- I, I kind of, Yeah. Yeah, and we work with the dietitians right there at the facilities. Um, I know my brother has gotten some services in the home, so that can also happen if you're not able to get out, um, you know, if it's difficult to, you know, for transportation, and sometimes it's, you know, it's just a struggle to do that. So you can have um, someone come to your home. Speech therapists do that too. Okay, that's that's good to know too. And then what about, what about like, um, is this something that, Typically, you'll find like Medicare and um, uh, Medicaid and these different insurance. They do they pay for these therapies? Do you typically find, or do you find that people have to pay out of pocket? Or? Yeah, so typically they typically they will pay if you if the speech therapist can, um, you know, is able to document, you know, specific goals and objectives, and it's you know, and there's definitely a set time period. 
Um, usually, you know, they'll pay for the assessment portion, and then, you know, you have to get approval um, based on that assessment. Um, you know, and the goal is to, you know, trying to maintain quality of life, you know, and so it may be that a person gets kind of short bursts of speech therapy. It may be a consultation, like for a few sessions to get um, some things started. If it's communication or cognitive uh, based, if it's swallowing, you may be able to get, you know, several more sessions. So it's really just going to depend on the individual, um, individual needs and their insurance, the type of insurance that they have. Um, You know, I know in the skilled nursing facilities, you know, it's, you know, you really have to document um, and show the need for it. Right, right. I would imagine that HD patients probably typically get and have a need for it with what we deal with with that for the most part. Absolutely. Um, I found it so interesting. Yeah, my husband used to cough all the time. And so they kept, mm-hmm. kept going to the doctor and, and, you know, his neurologist would say, you know, um, who's been an expert for like 19 years, how we missed this. I don't know. She kept saying, is he choking? And I'd say, no, no, he's not choking. He's not choking. And then one day I said, you know, it's really weird. He's not choking, but he does this like coughing every time he drinks and every time he eats. And she's like, okay, that is, I needed to know that, you know? Um, so I yeah. think a lot of us uh, that have been experienced this don't realize that cough is very important to recognize. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, and if the absolute, right. And one of the first times that you notice it um, is with medications. So you start to notice a change in being able to swallow, um, swallow pills, you know, where all of a sudden pills have to be cut Mm -hmm. up because it's just, you know, the patient's not able to, you know, to get a good swallow and definitely lots of coughing during the meal is a big red flag. Clearing the throat is another right. one. Um, so if you're looking for some red okay. flags, uh, coughing, clearing the throat a lot during the meal. If after um, they, the person's eating and you kind of, their voice sounds a little wet and gurgly a little, but, you know, it sounds like, like not everything's gone all the way down, that's another red flag. So you can, after someone mm. swallows, you can ask them to, you know, engage them in talking for a minute and hear if it sounds a little bit wet. Um, you can ask them to go ahead and try and swallow again uh, or cough or clear, right, to try and, and, and get that. But that's another red flag to watch for. And pneumonia. Okay. Any, you know, any um, time a person sure. has pneumonia, that you really want to make rule out that swallowing wasn't the problem. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think that's all of our biggest fear in this is the, the pneumonia and the aspiration. So. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, do you have right? And then, have... nope. Just one more thing. And then, speech therapists are often involved mm-hmm. in those decisions um, when a person can't take food by mouth anymore. You know, when um, sometimes you're faced kind of with a decision of whether to do a G tube, you know, to be fed uh, through your stomach um, if the patient can't eat by mouth anymore. And so, the speech therapist is a good person to um, have a consultation with if you have questions about that. Yes. Yep. Yep. That's. Um, oh, and that's really good because I think a lot of people, you know, you want to talk to your, do- they talk to the doctors about the G tube, and we think about weight so much, um, but that's really mm-hmm. important is that it's also the choking and, yeah. So, um, do you have any at home tips and tricks for caregivers um, and patients? Sure. Um, so, I think the biggest. 
I, I was trying to um, write down some things to remember for you, but um, if we're to stay on the swallowing part of things is just really um, some safe swallow strategies. And, and we've talked about these with my brother too, um, that positioning is really important while someone's eating. And so making sure that the patient or your loved, I keep saying patient cause I have my speech therapist hat on, um, but your loved one is sitting upright. So you don't want the person to be lying back you know, in bed and eating, you really want them upright. Um, you kind of have to think of, you know, so if you can imagine if you're sitting um, right now as you're listening to me, um, you know, that you want everything, you know, when you take a bite of food to go be able to go straight down, right? If you're lying down, it's much more difficult. So that positioning is super important with the head upright. Um, so that's one, taking small bites, um, so making sure that you're not, you know, that, that um, your loved one's not putting lots of, you know, big bites and, you know, and big bites in their mouth and following it with another big bite before they swallow. So small bites, kind of slow it down. You can alternate bites and sips. So taking a bite of food and then a sip of liquid and then a bite of food and a sip of liquid. Try not to rush someone through a meal. So, you know, it may be, maybe a change, but really just taking time and, um, you know, and just making sure that the person's nice and safe with small bites and alternating bites and sips of liquid. Um, the other thing is talking during meals might be a lot um, to ask to coordinate, you know, both the chewing and, um, and swallowing with also trying to pay attention to someone talking and then responding back to them. Um, so just, you know, you know, it's fine to, you know, to socialize during the meal, but, um, you know, but just make sure that they're done with their swallow before, you know, before talking and expecting a response. Um, so those are some safe swallow strategies that are really helpful. The other thing is um, sometimes using a straw is not safe because the liquid in a straw goes so fast. And we don't really think about that, but actually just using a cup, you know, cup sips are a little bit better than a straw. A straw tends to make the liquid go down really fast. Um, okay, so that's for swallowing. Um, mm -hmm. Do you have any questions about that one? That makes sense. No, I, I thought that was really interesting about the talking thing because I've that's yeah. I, you know you don't think about that. We sit and we talk to our loved. We want to get as much in with our loved ones when we're with them, right? Let's talk. Let's like yeah. try and. <laughs> Yeah, I've noticed that. I'll talk and my husband just looks at me like, I, you know, can I eat or can I focus, you know? <laughs> so that's a really yeah, good thing. I never right? thought, I've actually, that's the first I've ever heard of that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's Important. hard, but it's, and you, but, yeah. and you want to socialize during the meal, but just kind of be cognizant, right? That give them some time so that they can, you know, go ahead and swallow and then have some time to talk. And, uh, but just know that mealtime is going to take longer and that's okay. Um, right, right. You know? And for communication, I think uh, the other one is patience, um, and, which is hard. So, you know, try not to talk for, um, for your loved one, right? Sometimes it takes them longer to get out what they want to say or initiation. You know, being able to start talking sometimes can be difficult. So just, you know, try not to speak for them. Um, so, you know, again, conversation, it just may take a little bit longer and just kind of, just wait, right? That processing time may be a little bit, may take a little bit longer for the person to process what you've just said. So give them a chance to respond to what you said before saying something else on top of it. Um, 
Also, uh, avoid giving too many directions at one time. So you may just want to give one or two directions before giving another. And that just follows that same reasoning that if you, you know, put too much, right, it's, it's, it just gets overwhelming or frustrating to the person. Um, it's asking yes, no questions are going to be easier than an open-ended question. So, like, if you want to ask somebody, you know, what do you want for dinner, and, you know, and so you ask that question, you know, what would you like for dinner tonight? Well, that's really open-ended, right? So they have to kind of, they have to think about all the things that they want to say. And um, sometimes word finding is hard, coming up with those words that you, you know, that you want. And so sometimes doing a yes, no question, like, do you want, um, would you like to have spaghetti tonight, right? That can be a yes, no. Or you could do two choices. Would you like um, spaghetti or hamburgers? Right, it's much easier to answer those than an open-ended question. Um, also, when someone's tired, it's going to be harder for them to communicate. So maybe lessening the the load mm. when someone is tired. Um, yeah. Yeah, and word finding, right? Is um, I don't know if you've if you've experienced that with your husband, but that's another one that's really hard. It's like that, you know, we, and we all have this. Right, we all experience it where we, there's a word we want to say and we can't, we just can't find it. It's at the tip of our tongue and it, we can't get it out. And so that's very right. common. Yeah. And so, you know, encourage other ways to communicate. It can be gestures, showing, drawing, uh, use of picture symbols. So it's okay to find, you know, use as many ways for the person to communicate as you can find. And so encourage them, like show me, or you know. Um, can you draw it out for me? Or, you know, maybe you can accept another word for that, something that's a little bit close to it. Um, yeah. I think those are the main, you know, the main ones, trying to lessen that frustration a bit and, and just being patient. Because, you, you know, you want, we all want to be, you know, independent and, um, and not have, you know, our voice is one of those things that is so important, our ability to communicate. That's really, you know, that's who we are, right? And so um, there is a frustration when, when you can't do that as well as you used to do or when people, everybody keeps talking and, and you can't get out what you want to say as quickly as they are. And so if everybody can just slow it down a little bit and, and, um, and give some time for, uh, for responses to be there. So. Right. Yeah. Oh my goodness! It sounds like we're having an interruption here. Um, can you hear that? Oh. It's weird. No. Um, I don't know. It, you can't hear it on your end. That's good. No. Um, are you hearing another yeah. voice? You no. are. I'm okay, not. Good. I don't hear another. I'm voice. glad it's coming in. <laughs> it's probably it's coming in through my thing, which is good. Um, okay. okay. Uh, so sometimes the studio gets really kind of weird on us, so I'm glad that it's not coming through on your end. Um, okay, good. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So, no, I think this – thank you so much for, for coming on. And real quick, can you just give us a little overview of how it was in Africa? I'm just kind of curious. Oh, my goodness. So we went to – it was a group of 15 of us. Um, we went on a Fulbright-Hayes grant, which was exciting, um, to work with children with special needs in Botswana. And as part of the grant, we got to go into different schools all around Botswana um, and work alongside teachers and students. And we ate traditional food and went to cultural villages. And, um, and we went to Victoria Falls and we went on um, safaris, which was amazing. So we were right with the animals and 
Um, we actually camped one night and lions were like right behind our tent, which was a little bit scary, but um, it was oh just, goodness, it was yeah. amazing. Yeah. So yeah. absolutely and I loved it. Was it. So, so, yeah, I bet you was so life-changing working with the people in Africa and doing what you, what you have your doctorate in. I mean, what you're, what you're an expert in yeah. and um, bringing that is just must've been a really great experience. It was, and um, it was really fun well, to see our students. Um, sorry, just to see our yeah. students grew so much, you know, just by going to another country and learning. So, Sure, sure. Well, thank you so much uh, for coming on today You're and welcome. talking to us about this very important topic. And and um, it was so nice to, to meet you virtually, and, and uh, we'll keep yeah, your you brother too. in our thoughts. And, um, thank you. And, uh, yeah, so thank you so much. Um, just next to let, let you guys know, next week we will be in Puerto Rico. Help for HD International is hosting a patient education day in partnership with the Foundation of Puerto Rico um, on the island in San Juan. We're really excited about that. Uh, we're really excited to bring as much support to the families of Puerto Rico as we can. Um, also, next week I will be doing the radio show from Puerto Rico. We are going to be interviewing Leah Barker uh, on her newest article on capturing the corners. And the article is, I never thought, I would uh, it would get better either. So that'll be um, a very good uh, show. I'm always really excited when Leah comes on um, and talks, and her articles are so real and raw, and um, she's an amazing writer, and so we're excited to talk to her about her newest article uh, next week. Uh, next month's shows are really exciting. We'll have Leah Barker. We're going to do um, one with the Foundation of Huntington of Puerto Rico um, and talk about what's going on with their, with, over there with their foundation. So we have a good lineup next month, so we are excited for that. Um, so I think one thing we learned on this show today is patience, um, and I think this is something that we, do, we have to learn in our whole journey of navigating through HD is to always be patient with our patients and give them time to talk because we never know something brilliant um, I know is going to come out and I wish I would have been more patient with my husband when he was able to communicate with me because um, it was always so uh, amazing what he had to say. And so patience is important. As always, caregivers, take care of yourself because without you, who does your loved one have? So always remember self-care. And uh, until next week, everyone have a safe night.